The words to which I should like to call your attention this evening are to be found in the Gospel according to St. John in the third chapter, reading this evening verses 19, 20, and 21. Verses 19, 20, and 21 in the third chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. We are still continuing our consideration of this great and mighty and most important statement that our blessed Lord and Savior was making to this man Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, indeed even one of the leaders and the teachers amongst the Pharisees. It is, of course, as you'll all realize, one of the great and central and vital passages of Scripture. Our Lord has been unfolding in this most extraordinary and moving manner the real nature of the gospel. He has been telling these people why exactly he had come into this world, who he was, and the purpose and the object of his coming. God sent not his Son into the world, he has said, in order to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And yet uh, he goes on to say that though he had not been sent into the world to condemn the world, that nevertheless his coming did produce a judgment, and that as the result of his coming, the world was divided into two main groups, those who believe in him and those who do not believe in him. Now, our Lord obviously found that it was necessary that he should go on to say these things. You would have imagined, perhaps, if we had thought of this thing for ourselves, that having made this great statement in John 3.16, that he would have left it at that. But he didn't, and he didn't, of course, because, as we've already been told at the end of the previous chapter, he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of men, for he knew what was in men. And so he knows that there is in men a fundamental misunderstanding, both with regard to himself and with regard to his relationship to God. And thus, you see, it comes to pass that what God did in order that men might be saved becomes the very means of condemnation. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, we are confronted by this fact with which we are more than familiar, our less, that the world is divided up still this evening into two main groups, those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who don't. And this is such a serious and a momentous question that our Lord felt it was necessary to elaborate and to show to a man like Nicodemus and to show to others through him and by means of his talk with Nicodemus the terrible character of unbelief. This is the tragedy of the world, the tragedy. Oh, I'm never tired of saying it and of reminding you of it. It's a much greater tragedy than the possible use of the hydrogen bomb, because that is something that only affects us in time. 
But here is something he says that is going to affect us throughout eternity. And yet mankind doesn't look at it, is not interested in it, and rejects him and rejects his message. Why is that? Well, we've been seeing that our Lord says that it's due to two main causes. The first cause is that man doesn't know the truth about himself. And the second is he doesn't realize the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he did in this world, and especially on the cross on Calvary's hill. Now, we are considering this first thing. Man's ignorance about himself. Here it is we see, perhaps very plainly and clearly, the terrible consequences of sin in the human heart. Man thinks he knows the truth about himself. Man thinks he knows the essence of his troubles and of his problems. He thinks he knows what is needed. And it is because he thinks he knows that that he is not interested in the gospel. That is the position of the vast majority of people in this world this evening who are not listening to this gospel, who are not reading it, not even considering it, but who have dismissed it with scorn and contumely. Why? Well, they think they know. And as I was indicating last Sunday evening, they think that their essential problem is intellectual. And they think their greatest need is for more knowledge. This generation, this generation of mankind, especially all who've lived in this present century, we all tend to pride ourselves on knowledge. We say knowledge is power. Knowledge, we think, is the thing we need. And if only we had that knowledge, everything would be right. And yet our Lord says, this is the condemnation, that light has come. Well, what's the matter with men then? Well, here's the matter. That light, that though light is come... Into the world, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In other words, I made the general point as I finished last Sunday night that men's essential problem is not intellectual. It isn't a question of knowledge. Men's problem is moral. It's a moral problem. Our Lord indicates it in the use of these words, darkness and light. His teaching is that men, by nature, is enveloped in darkness. That all of us, though we have the faculty, in a sense, of vision and of sight, are not able to use it. We are blinded by a darkness. That is what the Bible means by evil and by sin. And so man is not free. There is this gross darkness that the Bible speaks of. It says the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Mankind without the coming of Christ and the light that he's brought are like people sitting in helplessness in a state of darkness. But you notice that he doesn't leave it at that. He goes further. And it is to this further statement of his that I'm anxious to call attention, especially this evening. Now, there is nothing more important, according to this teaching, than that we should understand something of the nature of this moral problem in which we are all involved. This thing that keeps men from Christ. What is it? Well, here is my first point. It is vital that we should understand that sin and evil are not negative, but are positive. Now, I say that, of course, because of the very terminology which is used here by our Lord. He talks about men loving darkness rather than light and hating light. Now, We must be clear, therefore, about this state, this condition of sin in which the whole human race by nature is involved. 
There is, of course, a very great objection to this whole doctrine, this whole biblical doctrine of sin. Men have tried to say that it's something purely negative. It's agreed by everybody that there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with men. Yes, but the vital question is, what is it? Why is the world in its present state and condition? Now, the modern answer is, that answer which rejects the gospel, the answer is that it's negative. That it isn't something positive. They say, no, no, it's just the absence of certain good qualities and the absence of certain positive qualities. You mustn't say, they say, that evil is positive, that sin is something active. No, the trouble with mankind is that it hasn't yet fully developed. It's in this negative phase. It hasn't arrived yet at the positive condition for which it was destined. So they say, you mustn't talk so much about evil. What you really mean is that certain people fail to do good. Now, that is the argument with which you are familiar. The modern man dislikes this whole biblical teaching about sin as something positive and active. He describes it rather as just this negative phase through which man is passing in this long process of evolution. But you see, our Lord says the exact opposite. He says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness. Now, he uses a word which is a very strong word there. We, we just translate it as love. Love there means the love of intelligence. It means love which is a deliberate choice. An active choice. In other words, he says, the condemnation is that though light has come into the world, it isn't just that men have not turned to it. It isn't just that men haven't accepted it. It isn't that men are just neutral to it or are passive and are doing nothing actively about it. No, no, he says, they love darkness. And obviously this is something which is quite vital and fundamental in our whole outlook. You see, our Lord's teaching is this. That it isn't enough to say about us simply that we are not good. But that we have to recognize very clearly and definitely that we are bad. Positively evil. Now, the astounding thing to me is that anybody should be disposed to query that or to question it or to argue against it. Are we not all aware when we really are quite honest and when we analyze ourselves and our lives and our activities that we are aware within ourselves of a positive power in the direction of evil? How can we describe ourselves as negative? Don't we all know something about what the Bible calls lust? Now, don't confine lust simply to the body. Don't think of lust solely in terms of sex. Lust is any great mastering, overpowering desire. The Bible describes it sometimes as an inordinate affection. It means by that that it's something that grips us and takes hold of us. Well, I can even invoke the aid of the so-called modern psychology at this point. More and more the psychologists are using a term like this. They say about certain patients that they are the victims of certain drives that are within them. And of course they're perfectly right. But where they're not right is that they don't realize that every one of us is the victim of certain drives. You notice the term, a drive. What they mean is this, that there's a patient, a psychological case, if you like. Ah, oh, says this expert psychologist, the trouble with this patient is that he is the victim of a drive in some direction or other. You see, he pictures him as a kind of horse, and, but there's somebody else, there's another power holding the reins and wielding a whip. That poor man is no longer in control of himself. He's being driven. He's being mastered by this driver that is there holding him and controlling him and directing him. 
Well, now the Bible says that that is true of every human being. And that is why it says that sin isn't merely negative. Desire, lust, passion. And it says that this is so powerful that it literally controls us. Men, says our Lord, love darkness. And as I've said, the astounding thing is that anybody should want to dispute that. Haven't we all felt this power? Haven't we all hated it? Haven't we all stood up to it and tried to fight it? Haven't we taken our New Year's resolutions? Haven't we played all sorts of tricks with ourselves in order to try to prevent ourselves from going down again to this self-same thing? What's the meaning of remorse? Why does a man kick himself and hate himself? Why does a man feel he's made a fool of himself? Well, the answer is this. He's again been gripped by something. He knows afterwards always it's wrong, but why does he do it then? Well, the fact of the matter is he can't help himself in a sense. The drive comes, the thing overpowers and overmasters him. He's held in the grip of this terrible thing. Evil is positive. And there is no greater fallacy than to regard it simply as something which is just negative or a negative phase through which we may be happening to pass at any given moment. No, no, says Christ, men love darkness. Look how we try to defend ourselves. Look how we would explain it away. Look what we'll do in order to keep on at it. Though we are condemned within and by the conscience, on and on we go. Why? There's only one explanation. It's the love of the thing. And the whole human race knows this. Evil is not negative. It is essentially positive. But, and this is the thing I want to emphasize most of all tonight, in exactly the same way, unbelief is also not negative, not even neutral. Unbelief is positive exactly as evil is positive. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, that his, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Oh, here's the fallacy about the human race. Men like to think of themselves, do they not, as being in a condition or in a state of intellectual and scientific calm and detachment. The average man today says, well, of course, my position is that I'm just not a Christian. I've looked into the thing, I've examined it with my mind, and uh, I don't believe it. There he is, you'd think that he is not governed by anything but by pure reason, and there he sits and looks on in this calm, detached, and utterly scientific manner. But according to our Lord, that's an utter lie. He says the trouble with a man who doesn't believe this gospel is that he hates the light. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. There's no neutrality here. This again is not something passive or merely negative. This is active, it is positive. He hates the light. Now the whole Bible says this. The Apostle Paul in writing to the Romans puts it in this form. He says the natural mind is enmity against God is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He again describes people who are now Christians who but once were pagans. How does he describe them? Well, he says you were once upon a time enemies and aliens in your minds through wicked works. Enemies. Now, this is, of course, obviously central in importance. The question is, can I prove it? Can I establish it? For I am saying that the modern man detests this idea. He says he's neutral. He's calm. 
He just looks on at the gospel and he doesn't accept it. He's not satisfied with the evidence and so on. It's purely an intellectual problem. No, no, says Christ, you hate the light. Now let me try to establish this. And let me do so in this way. First of all, I say that this is a fact that men by nature hates the light. How do you prove that, says someone? Well, let me suggest some proof like this to you. Look at the figure, that the picture that we are given in the pages of the four Gospels. The Son of God has come from heaven into this world. He left the courts of heaven and all that eternal glory that he'd ever enjoyed with his father and humbled himself and was born as a babe in Bethlehem. Born into a very poor family, lived as a boy, worked as a carpenter, shared the ordinary, very common life of people. And then you read the story of his ministry, his preaching, his miracles, and his good works. Why has he come into the world? Well, he's told Nicodemus here, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen to him again, he says, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Oh, read his words. Was there anything more wonderful ever uttered? Was there ever anything more beautiful? Look at his deeds. Look at him with his eye for suffering. Look at his eye of compassion. Look at him even mixing with publicans and sinners, people who were outcasts whom society had ostracized. Look at his life. Was there ever a life lived so exclusively to the benefit of mankind? And yet what happened to him? Did the whole world run after him and acclaim him? Did men fall at his feet and look up into his face and say, Go on speaking to us, we want to hear more, and crowd after him and sing his praises? Well, the sort of thing that happened is here repeated constantly in this gospel according to St. John. Here's the last verse, for instance, in the 8th chapter. Then took they up stones to cast at him. If ever anybody was hated in this world, it was the Son of God. Look at the malice and the spite and the bitterness and the hatred of the Pharisees and scribes. Look at the mob in Jerusalem crying away with him, crucify him. They chose a murderer to be released rather than this, mess, this man. What is it, my friends? You've got to explain this fact. Here is the Son of God incarnate in the flesh. Look at his life and his activities, yet look at his reception. What is this, I say? Is there any explanation and answer save the one he gives himself here? Men hate the light. They hated him. They hated me without a cause. That's the statement. They crucified him. They got rid of him. Now, I'm arguing that if you're honest, you've got to come to terms with that fact. Why did they treat him like that? What evil did they find in him? They couldn't find any. What was wrong in him, in anything about him? They couldn't bring anything at all. And yet there was bitterness and malice and spleen and hatred and scorn. They spat in his face. They put a crown of thorns on his brow. Was there ever such bitterness and hatred? Why? I defy you to give any adequate answer save the one he gives here. This is the condemnation. That though light is come into the world, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Go on to the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Read there about the preaching of the first preachers and you'll find they got the same treatment. The same persecution, the same bitterness and malice and hatred. And you know it's continued since then. Whenever the Christian church is really active and powerful, she's always persecuted. 
You read the account of any revival or great religious awakening that has ever taken place, and you will always find that this same bitterness and malice and hatred and spleen have ever been manifested. Let me give you but one illustration. Take 200 years ago. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church in the persons of George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley, and other preachers, suddenly these men saw the truth and they began to preach it with the power of the Holy Ghost. What happened? They were stoned. They were molested. They were persecuted. One man of the name of Seward was literally killed, a mob to which he was preaching. And what was he preaching to them? He was preaching the love of God, the love of Christ. He was showing them the way of salvation. He was telling them how they could be delivered from drunkenness and from vileness and moral degradation. And though he was preaching that to them, they took stones and they threw them at him. One landed on his forehead and he dropped dead. Read the story. Now, I say we've got to explain this. You see, they didn't do things like that with those lifeless parsons who'd been occupying the pulpits before the revival began and who occupied them afterwards, they were never persecuted. But the moment men began to preach the pure gospel, all this animosity arose against them, and there were terrible scenes in many lands, and these men were threatened even with death. What's the explanation? Oh, come, let me come a little bit closer. If a man stands in a pulpit and just delivers a few moral generalities, nobody's ever offended and hurt. But if a man repeats the message of his Lord and Master, he invariably offends people. Haven't we all known the offense? What is this? Ah, there's only one explanation. It is this hatred of the light. But you see, the Bible says that this is true of every man as he's born into this world. It isn't only true of some, it is true of all. It is universal, that is, men by nature. He hates the light as he is. But we tend to evade this, don't we, by thinking that hatred must always show itself in exactly the same form. But hatred is a very peculiar thing. Hatred is not always violent. There are some who hate the light and they show it very violently. They blaspheme the name of Christ. They'll spit upon it. They hate it. They curse it. And they'll produce their oaths and their blasphemy. They hate God and Christ and they don't hesitate to say so. And they'll do anything violent against it. But hatred has got another form which it sometimes takes, which is quite as terrible, if not more so. And that is the form of quiet contempt and superciliousness. Sometimes such people may not even say a single word. They express it all on their faces. That's all. The hatred. The bitterness. It's all there in the glint in an eye, in the curl of a lip, in an expression of disdain and contempt. Oh, I know. There are people probably in the east end of London tonight who are standing in a semi-drunken condition pouring out blasphemy against this gospel. There are people sitting in West End clubs who don't say a word about it, but just nod their contempt. There are people sitting in respectable suburbia who are very sorry for people like you who are sitting in a chapel like this at this moment. They've long since finished with something like that. Children, all right. But adults... Modern sophistication, of course. The contempt and the derision. Ah, that I say is as powerful and as manifest in its way as is the other with its violence and its vituperation. 
Oh, I'm just establishing the fact that when our Lord says that men by nature hates the light, he's speaking the simple truth. I've come across two instances which I want to report to you, which to me have shown it more plainly than I've ever seen it in my life. I once uh, knew a man, indeed I knew the man and his wife very well. They were both nominal church members. Before their marriage, they were nominal church members and they got married. And they lived a very respectable life. There was nothing you could point at in their lives in any way that was wrong. It was outwardly religious even and respectable. But after a while, this man came under the power of the gospel. He was converted and regenerated. He became a new man. And what had been something casual to him before now became the biggest thing and the most central thing in his life. And this meant in his case that he felt he'd got to go to a prayer meeting every Monday night, to a fellowship meeting every Wednesday night, and to a men's discussion meeting every Saturday night in the chapel to which he belonged. And that man went home one night from a prayer meeting where he'd been face to face with God. And this was the reception that he got from his wife, who I say was a most respectable lady, a nice lady, a moral lady. Yes, and in a sense would call herself Christian. She met him at the door and she said, Ah, it's always this prayer meeting or this something or other. She said, I'd sooner see you brought in, carried in, dead drunk from the club, rather than this perpetual, everlasting prayer meeting. What's that? That's hatred of the light, my friends. Religion is all right as long as you haven't too much of it. But if it means, you see, that you go out like this three nights a week to religious services, ah, it's too much, and she hated it. She'd sooner seem drunk. Another man once came to my vestry, and he had one of the saddest things to tell me I've ever heard in my life, even worse than that. Here again, you had a couple, men and women, both highly respectable in every way. As it happens in this case, the man again was converted. I've known it on the other side quite as much. But this poor man came to my vestry to tell me that his wife had told him that she was going to leave him. She was going to leave him simply because he took this Christianity so seriously. It was spoiling life. It had made everything miserable. She wished she'd never married him. And she was deliberately decided to walk out and to leave him. What's that? That is hating the light. This good lady again was a highly respectable, a highly moral woman. Yes, you see, but when a man really believes the truth, she hates the thing. She feels that somehow it's taken her husband from her. What is this? It is hatred of the light, I say. I've had parents who've come to talk to me about their children, even in this church. Parents who are not members of this church, who belong somewhere else, perhaps to a church, who are non or non-Christians altogether. They've come and spoken to me seriously. They say, you know, this religion, this Christianity, is spoiling the life of my child. I say, look here. Would you prefer to see your child going wrong? I've said to mothers in my vestry here, would you prefer to see your child, your daughter, having an illegitimate child? Would you prefer to see your son becoming drunk? Would you prefer that? Ah, well, they say, I wouldn't like that. Well, then I said, what are you objecting to this for? That's saving them from that and bringing them to a living knowledge of God. People don't object to religion. 
They say religion's all right, you know, but you mustn't go too far in it. The moment it becomes living and active, the moment people want to be like Christ and want to follow him wholeheartedly, this opposition is aroused and the hatred is manifested. What is it, I say? It is nothing but this hatred of the light and the press is always displaying it. I've pointed this out to you before. If a man's on in a court on any charge, if they can find that he once went to a Sunday school, I'll guarantee you it'll probably be in the headlines. Ex-Sunday school pupil does this or that. He hasn't been near the place for 20 to 30 years. Ah, but you see. Well, you've seen it, haven't you? You keep your eye on it. They never miss. They never fail. That is nothing but hatred of the light. Come, let me move to my second point. There I've asked you to look at the fact. Now let me say just a word about the strangeness of this fact. Isn't it a strange thing that people should hate the light in this respect? Because, you know, they don't hate the light in other respects. They rather are grateful for it. If you're on a journey and you lose your way and you don't know what to do and the night is coming on and you're beginning to wonder what's going to happen and a man comes along and you say, I wonder whether you happen to know the way to such and such a place. Oh, certainly, says the man. I not only know, but I'll take you. Oh, how grateful you are to him. He can throw light upon your problem. He can help you. You don't hate that light? Indeed, there is nothing that the modern man is so grateful for as this kind of light in respect of knowledge and of science in particular. We call ourselves an enlightened people. There is nothing that men by nature so likes as light, knowledge, on the atom, on some mysterious scientific problem, how to improve life in every way, gadgets in the house, how to make work less arduous and difficult, light, wonderful, we embrace it, we thank everybody for it, we like light. Indeed, I'll go further. If you don't happen to be feeling very well and you go to your doctor and he says, now it's a good thing you've come to me, I'm not too happy about you. I don't find your heart or your lungs or your arteries as they ought to be, but uh, you've come in good time. It's all right, I can help you. He reveals the diagnosis. He says something to us that we don't like to hear, but you don't hate him, do you? You don't hate him for that information? You don't suddenly attack him? You don't suddenly become violent? Or you don't walk out with disdain and say, that man's unpleasant? Not at all. You say, well, that's very good of you. Indeed, you probably said to him at the beginning, now, doctor, don't keep it from me. Tell me the truth. I want to know exactly how I am. Isn't that it? Oh, I mustn't keep you. Here's the trouble with men, you see. He welcomes the light everywhere except here. And here he hates it. That's the problem of men. This is the problem of human nature. Man who's seeking, searching for light and knowledge and truth in all directions when it comes to the most vital matter of all. When he has it, he hates it and loves the darkness and turns his back upon the light. Now then, that brings me to my last point. Why does he do this? What is the reason for it? Oh, I'm only going to give you my headings. Man hates this light, as our Lord indicates here so plainly, because it prohibits what he likes. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He loves the darkness, and the light prohibits it. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. And it is because we like these things and love them and delight in them and gloat in them 
that we hate the gospel because it condemns them. Oh, let me give you one great classical illustration that seems to me to put it all so perfectly. It's a story in the Old Testament. King Ahab of Israel had invited Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to go up with him in a certain expedition. And Jehoshaphat, being a religious man, said, I'm not ready to come until we've had the opinion of the prophets as to whether it's the right expedition to make. All right, said Ahab, let's consult them. And they consulted over 450 prophets, and they said, it's all right, carry on. But Jehoshaphat was rather a timorous, frightened kind of individual. And having listened to all these, he said to Ahab, Tell me, Ahab, is there not yet another prophet whom we might consult? Are you certain that we've consulted them all? And Ahab made a most revealing answer. Well, he said, there is another. Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him because he doth never prophesy good concerning me, but always evil. There is another, but you needn't ask him. I can tell you what he's going to say. I always know what he's going to say. It's always the thing I don't want him to say. I hate him. He doth never prophesy good concerning me. But always evil, he always prohibited the thing that King Ahab was anxious to do and loved doing. That's the first reason, but let me come to the second. Men hate the light because it awakens and disturbs their consciences. It gives us a sense of condemnation and we don't like it. It makes us feel uneasy. It makes us feel unworthy. It exposes all that is wrong and evil within us, and we make frantic efforts to try to explain it away. That is why psychology is explaining, trying to explain away sin today in the way that I've indicated to you. And that is why men say there's no such thing as sin. It's self-expression. You shouldn't regard these things as evil. Self-expression. If a man wants to, why shouldn't he? That's it. There's no such thing as sin. Why? Well, that's their attempt to get rid of a sense of condemnation. It is their effort and endeavor to quell and to quench the voice of conscience. That's why men hate the light. It awakens us and it condemns us and we're unhappy. So we say, I'll have nothing to do with it. And on we go. We hate the light and turn our backs upon it. And then the next thing is that it hurts our pride. How does it do that? Well, it does that like this. The gospel of Jesus Christ as our Lord has been telling this man Nicodemus tells us plainly and bluntly that we're all so bad that we can't be improved, that we must be born again, that we need a new life and a new nature. We've got a nature that loves the darkness and hates the light, and education isn't enough, and moral training isn't enough, and everything isn't enough. I need to be made anew. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We are so bad. We are so vile, we are so rotten, that nothing will suffice except that I become a new man. And that is the final insult. Education doesn't insult us because it tells us that we're all right as we are if we only knew a little more. Morality has never insulted anybody. Morality says, yes, you're all right, but I can give you a little extra teaching, and I can give you some stimulus and encouragement. Nobody hates that. Here's the thing that causes the hatred. He must be born again. Ye are of your father the devil, 
The trouble with you is, says our Lord, not simply that you're not doing right, but that you love evil. You gloat in it. You're full of passion and lust and envy. It isn't that which goes into the mouth that defiles the men. It's that which comes out, out of the heart. Come evil thoughts, murderies, adulteries, fornications, and all the things that are ruining and marring life for so many in this present evil world tonight. It isn't the circumstances, it's the heart, it's the man, it's the desire, the passion, the evil, the law of darkness. That's it. And nothing will do but a new heart and a new nature and a new man. It's because the gospel says that that men hate it. And finally, it is because it ever reminds us of death and the judgment. And that's why men detest it with all the fury of their nature. They believe in a God who is only love. They hate his righteousness and his justice. They don't like to think of death. Don't talk to me about death, they say. We're all trying to do everything to forget death in every shape and form. What's the matter? Why does men hate death? Why is death such a hateful thing to men as he is by nature? It wasn't a hateful thing to the Apostle Paul, you know. He says to the Philippians, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to remain with you for your benefit, but also having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He'd lost the fear of death. Why is men afraid of death? Well, the Bible answers the question. It says that mankind is all its lifetime subject to bondage because of the fear of death. Why? Well, says the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, here is the answer. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Why do we hate death? Well, because we've got it deep down in our consciousness that death means facing God. And sin comes in. Death and judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die and after death the judgment. I can evade God, I think, while I'm in this world. I can forget Him. I can turn my back. I can do this and that. Ah, yes, but death, I can't get out of that. I've got to go. And come what may, I can't avoid it. Medical science can't pull me back. I must go. It's the inexorability of death. And what lies beyond it. The sting of death is sin. And as you're lying on that bed, your past comes back to you. And you remember what you've been and done. And you think of God. And what can you do? You can't escape. You can't move. There it is, the horror of it all. Death. The wrath of God and hell. And torment and everlasting misery. And this gospel reminds us of all that. This is the light that flashes onto us and tells us to be ready for it. Prepare to meet thy God, it says. It is the Lord Christ himself who teaches that kind of thing. He talks about that place where our worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if there is one thing that men hate more than anything else, it is the thought of death. It is the thought of the wrath of God. It is the thought of the judgment. It is the thought of hell. And that is why they say, to hell with hell! To hell with the wrath of God! They don't believe it. They hate it. 
And they hate the gospel because of the light that it throws upon it. Men love darkness rather than light. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. You can't go on with your sin when you think of death and when you think of judgment and when you think of hell. You can't. Ah, but you love the sin and you want it. So you say, I'll turn my back on that light. I don't want it. I don't believe it. You hate it. That is what our Lord was saying here to Nicodemus. That is what he's saying to us here tonight. My dear friend, I have a very solemn question to ask you. What's your view of Jesus Christ? What's your view of his gospel? What's your view of the Christian life? You're still saying it's narrow and miserable? Are you fighting against it? Are you trying to argue it down? Are you trying to deal with your own conscience? What's your reaction? Be careful, my dear friend. You are proclaiming what you are. And if you don't long for this Christ in your life, and long to be living the Christian life as it's depicted in this word, I say there's only one reason for that, and that is you've got a nature that hates the light and loves the darkness. Oh, my beloved friend, it grieves me to think that of you. As I see it, as I see the twist and the perversion and the horror of it all, which is making the world what it is tonight, as I consider what it leads to, I plead with you. Recognize it honestly. Listen to your own conscience at this moment. Admit to yourself that your nature is evil. Mine by nature is foul and vile. I can say nothing too bad about it. And go to God and go to Christ. And ask him to give you this new life, this new nature, which will enable you to love the light and to hate the darkness. So that beginning to walk in the light here and now in this world, you may be able even to smile in the face of death and go on to that land of light and of glory and see God and dwell in his holy and glorious presence to all eternity. Oh, may God, through the Spirit, open all our eyes to the terrible nature of sin that hates the light of God and loves darkness. Instead of loving the light and hating the darkness. Amen. We do hope that you've been helped by the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All of the sermons contained within the MLJ Trust audio library are now available for free download. You may share the sermons or broadcast them. However, because of international copyright, please be advised that we are asking first that these sermons never be offered for sale by a third party. And second, that these sermons will not be edited in any way for length or to use as audio clips. You can find our contact information on our website at mljtrust.org. That's mljtrust.org.